The Weird of the White Wolf. Prologue. The Dream of Earl Albic, in which we learn something of how the age of the young kingdoms emerged, and of the part played by the dark lady, Michelle, whose fate would later be intertwined with that of Elric of Melnibonae. From the glassless window of the stone tower it was possible to see the wide river winding off between loose brown banks through the heaped terrain of solid green copses which blended very gradually into the mass of the forest proper. And out of the forest, the cliff rose, grey and light green, up and up the rock darkening, lichen covered to merge with the lower and even more massive stones of the castle. It was the castle which dominated the countryside in three directions, drawing the eye from river, rock, or forest. Its walls were high and of thick granite, with towers, a dense field of towers, grouped so as to shadow one another. Albeck of Malador marvelled and wondered how human builders could ever have constructed it, save by sorcery. Brooding and mysterious, the castle seemed to have a defiant air, for it stood on the very edge of the world. At this moment, the lowering sky cast a strange, deep yellow light against the western sides of the towers, intensifying the blackness untouched by it. Huge billows of blue sky rent the general racing greyness above, and mounds of red cloud crept through to blend and produce more and subtler colourings. Yet though the sky was impressive, it could not take the gaze away from the ponderous series, series of man-made crags that were Castle Canaloon. Earl Albeck of Malador did not turn from the window until it was completely dark outside. Forest, cliff and castle, but shadowy tones against the overall blackness. Passed a heavy knotted hand over his almost bald scalp and thoughtfully went towards the heap of straw which was his intended bed. The straw was piled in a niche created by a buttress on the outer wall, and the room was well lighted by Melador's lantern. But the air was cold, and he lay down on the straw with his hand close to his two-handed broadsword of prodigious size. This was his only weapon. It looked as if it had been forged for a giant. Malador was virtually that himself, with its wide crosspiece and heavy stone-encrusted hilt and five-foot blade, smooth and broad. Beside it was Malador's old heavy armour, the casque balanced on top with its somewhat tattered black plumes waving slightly in the current of air from the window. Malador slept. His dreams, as usual, were turbulent, of mighty armies surging across the blazing landscapes, curling banners bearing the blazons of a hundred nations, forests of shining lance tips, Seas of tossing helmets, the brave, wild blasts of the war horns, the clatter of hooves, 
and the songs and cries and shouts of soldiers. These were dreams of earlier times, of his youth when, for Queen Elioada of Clant, he had conquered all of the southern nations, almost to the edge of the world. Only Canaloon on the very edge had he not conquered, and this because no army would follow him there. For one of so martial an appearance, these dreams were surprisingly unwelcome, and Malador woke several times that night, shaking his head in an attempt to rid himself of them. He would rather have dreamed of Eloada, though she was the cause of his restlessness, but he saw nothing of her in his sleep, nothing of her soft black hair that billowed round her pale face, nothing of her green eyes and red lips and her proud, disdainful posture. Eloada had assigned him to this quest, and he had not gone willingly, though he had no choice, for as well as his mistress, she was also his queen. The champion was traditionally her lover, and it was unthinkable to Earl Albeck that any other condition should exist. It was his place as champion of Clint to obey and go forth from her palace to seek Castle Canaloon alone, and conquer it, and declare it part of her empire, so that it could be said Queen Eloada's domain stretched from the Dragon Sea to World's Edge. Nothing lay beyond World's Edge. Nothing save the swirling stuff of unformed chaos which stretched away from the cliffs of Canaloon for eternity, roiling and broiling, multicoloured, full of monstrous half-shapes. For Earth alone was lawful and constituted of ordered matter, drifting in the sea of chaos stuff, as it had done for aeons. In the morning, Earl Albeck of Melador extinguished the lantern which he had allowed to remain alight, drew Greaves and Halberg onto him, placed his black-plumed helm upon his head, put his broadsword over his shoulder, and sallied out of the stone tower which was all that remained of some ancient edifice. His leathern-shod feet stumbled over stones and seemed partially dissolved, as if chaos had once lapped here, instead of against the towering cliffs of Canaloon. That, of course, was quite impossible, since Earth's boundaries were known to be constant. Castle Canaloon had seemed closer the night before, and that, he now realised, was because it was so huge. He followed the river, his feet sinking in the loamy soil, the great branches of the trees shading him from the increasingly hot sun as he made his way towards the cliffs. Canaloon was now out of sight, high above him. Every so often he used his sword as an axe to clear his way through the places where the foliage was particularly thick. He rested several times, drinking the cold water of the river and mopping his face and head. He was unhurried, he had no wish to visit Canaloon. He resented the interruption to his life with Eloada, which he thought he had earned. Also, he too had a superstitious dread of the mysterious castle, which was said to be inhabited only by one human occupant. The Dark Lady, a sorceress without mercy who commanded the legions of demons and other chaos creatures. He regarded the cliffs at midday and 
regarded the path leading upward with a mixture of weariness and relief. He expected to have to scale the cliffs. He was not, however, one to take a difficult route where an easy one presented itself. So he looped a cord around his sword and slung it over his back, since it was too long and cumbersome to carry at his side. Then, still in a bad humour, he began to climb the twisting path. The lichen-covered rocks were evidently ancient, contrary to the speculations of certain philosophers who asked why Canaloon had only been heard of a few generations since. Malador believed in the general answer to this question, that explorers had never ventured this far until fairly recently. He glanced back down the path and saw the tops of the trees below him, their foliage moving slightly in the breeze. The tower in which he'd spent the night was just visible in the distance, and beyond that, he knew, there was no civilization, no outpost of man for many days north, east, or west. Can chaos lay to the south? He'd never been so close to the edge of the world before, and wondered how the sight of unformed matter would affect his brain. At length he clambered to the top of the cliff and stood, arms akimbo, staring up at Castle Canaloon, which soared a mile away, its highest towers hidden in the clouds, its immense walls rooted on the rock and stretched away, limited on both sides only by the edge of the cliff. And on the other side of the cliff, Malador watched the churning, leaping chaos substance, predominantly grey, blue, brown, and yellow at this moment, though its colours changed constantly, spew like the sea spray a few feet from the castle. He became filled with a feeling of such incredible profundity that he could remain in this position for a long while, completely overwhelmed by a sense of his own insignificance. It came to him eventually that if anyone did dwell in the Castle Canaloon, then they must have a robust mind, or else must be insane. And then he sighed and strode on towards his goal, noting that the ground was perfectly flat, without blemish, green, obsidian, and reflecting imperfectly the dancing chaos stuff from which he averted his eyes as much as he could. Canaloon had many entrances, all dark and unwelcoming, and had they all not been of regular size and shape, they might have been so many cave mouths. Malador paused before choosing which one to take, and then walked with outward purposefulness towards one. He went into blackness, which appeared to stretch away forever. It was cold. It was empty. And he was alone. He was soon lost. His footsteps made no echo, which was unexpected. Then the blackness began to give way to a series of angular outlines, like the walls of a twisting corridor, walls which did not reach the unsensed roof, but ended several yards above his head. It was a labyrinth, a maze. He paused and looked back and saw with horror that the maze wound off in many directions, though he was sure he had followed a straight path from the outside. For an instant, his mind became diffused, and madness threatened to engulf him. But he battered it down, unslung his sword, shivering. Which way? He pressed on, unable to tell now whether he went forward or backward. 
the madness lurking in the depths of his brain filtered out and became fear. And immediately, following the sensation of fear, came the shapes. Swift-moving shapes, darting from several different directions, gibbering, fiendish, utterly horrible. One of the creatures kept at him and he struck at it with his blade. It fled, but seemed unwounded. Another came, and another, and he forgot his panic as he smote around him, driving them back until all had fled. He paused and leaned, panting on his sword. Then, as he stared around him, the fear began to flood back into him, and more creatures appeared. Creatures with wide, blazing eyes and clutching talons. Creatures with malevolent faces, mocking him. Creatures with half-familiar faces, some recognisable as those of old friends and relatives, yet twisted into horrific parodies. He screamed and ran at them, whirling his huge sword, slashing, hacking at them, rushing past one group to turn a bend in the labyrinth and encounter another. Malicious laughter coursed through the twisting corridors, following him and preceding him as he ran. He stumbled and fell against a wall. At first the wall seemed of solid stone, then slowly it became soft and he sank through it, his body lying half in one corridor, half in another. He hauled himself through, still on hands and knees, looked up and saw Eloada. But in Eloada his face grew old as he watched. I am mad, he thought. Is this reality or fantasy or both? He reached out his hand. Eloada. She vanished, but was replaced by a crowding horde of demons. He raised himself to his feet and flailed around him with his blade but they skipped outside his range and he roared at them as he advanced. Momentarily, while he thus exerted himself, the fear left him again, and with the disappearance of the fear, so the visions vanished until he realised that the fear preceded the manifestations and he tried to control it. He almost succeeded, forcing himself to relax, but it welled up again and the creatures bubbled out of the walls, their shrill voices full of malicious mirth. This time he did not attack them with his sword, but stood his ground as calmly as he could and concentrated upon his own mental condition. As he did so, the creatures began to fade away, and then the walls of the labyrinth dissolved, and it seemed to him that he stood in a peaceful valley, calm and idyllic. Yet, hovering close to his consciousness, he seemed to see the walls of the labyrinth faintly outlined and disgusting shapes moving here and there among the passages. He realised that the vision of the valley was as much as an illusion as the labyrinth, and with this conclusion, both valley and labyrinth faded, and he stood in an enormous hall of a castle which could only be Canaloon. The hall was unoccupied, though well furnished, and he could not see the source of the light which was bright and even. He strode towards a table, on which were heaped scrolls, and his feet made a satisfying echo. Several great metal-studded doors led off from the hall, but for the moment he did not investigate them, intent on studying the scrolls and seeing if they could help him unravel Canaloon's mystery. He propped his sword against the table and took up the first scroll. It was a beautiful thing of red vellum, but the black letters upon it meant nothing to him, and he was astounded, for 
though dialects varied from place to place, there was only one language in all the lands of the earth. Another scroll bore different symbols still, and a third he unrolled carried a series of highly stylized pictures which were repeated here and there, so that he guessed they formed some kind of alphabet. Disgusted, he flung the scroll down, picked up his sword, drew an immense breath and shouted, Who dwells here? Let them know that Albeck, Earl of Malador, champion of Clant and conqueror of the south, claims this castle in the name of Queen Eloada, empress of all the southlands. And shouting these familiar words, he felt somewhat more comfortable. But he received no reply. He lifted his casque a trifle and scratched his neck. Then he picked up his sword, balanced it over his shoulder and made for the largest door. Before he reached it, it sprang open and a huge man-like thing with hands like grappling irons grinned at him. He took a pace backward and then another until, seeing that the thing did not advance, stood his ground observing it. It was a foot or, to- to- it was a foot or so taller than he with oval, multi-faceted eyes that, by their nature, seemed blank. Its face was angular and had a grey, metallic sheen. Most of its body was comprised of burnished metal, jointed in the manner of armour. Upon its head was a tight-fitting hood, studded with brass. It had about it an air of tremendous and insensate power, though it did not move. A golem! Malador exclaimed, for it seemed to him that he remembered such man-made creatures from legends. What sorcery created you? The golem did not reply, but its hands, which were in reality comprised of four spikes of metal apiece, began slowly to flex themselves, and still the golem grinned. This thing, Malador knew, did not have the same amorphous quality of his earlier visions. This was solid. This was real and strong, and even Malador's manly strength, however much he exerted it, could not defeat such a creature. Yet neither could he turn away. With a scream of metal joints, the golem entered the hall and stretched its burnished hands towards the earl. Malador could attack or flee, and fleeing would be senseless. He attacked, His great sword clasped in both hands, he swung sideways at the golem's torso, which seemed to be its weakest point. The golem lowered an arm and the sword shattered against metal with a mighty clang that set the whole of Malador's body quaking. He stumbled backwards. Remorselessly, the golem followed him. Malador looked back and searched the hall in the hope of finding a weapon more powerful than his sword, but saw only shields of an ornamental kind upon the wall to the right. He turned and ran to the wall, wrenching one of the shields from its place and slipping it on his arm. It was an oblong thing, very light and comprising several layers of cross-grained wood. It was inadequate, but it made him feel a trifle better as he whirled again to face the golem. The golem advanced, and Malador thought he noticed something familiar about it, just as the demons of the labyrinth had seemed familiar. The impression was only vague. Canaloon's weird sorcery was affecting his mind, he decided. The creature raised the spikes on its right arm and aimed a swift blow at Malador's head. He avoided it, putting up his sword as protection, 
The spikes clashed against the sword, and then the left arm pistoned forward, driving at Malador's stomach. The shield stopped the blow, though the spikes pierced it deeply. He yanked the buckler off the spikes, slashing at the golem's leg joints as he did so. Still staring into the middle distance, with apparently no real interest in Malador, the golem advanced like a blind man as the earl turned and leapt up on the table, scattering the scrolls. Now he brought his huge sword down on the golem's skull, and the brass studs sparked, and the hood and head beneath it was dented. The golem staggered and then grasped the table, heaving it off the floor so that Malador was forced to leap to the ground. This time he made for the door and tugged at its latchring, but the door would not open. His sword was chipped and blunted. He put his back to the door as the golem reached him and brought its metal hand down on the top edge of the shield. The shield shattered and a dreadful pain shot up Malador's arm. He lunged at the golem, but he was unused to handling the big sword in this manner and the stroke was clumsy. Malador knew that he was doomed. Force and fighting skill were not enough against the golem's insensate strength. At the golem's next blow, he swung aside, but was caught by one of its spike fingers, which ripped through his armour and drew blood, though that moment he felt no pain. He scrambled up, shaking away the grip and fragments of wood, which remained of the shield, grasping his sword firmly. The soulless demon has no weak spot, he thought and since it has no true intelligence, it cannot be appealed to. What would a golem fear? Well, the answer was simple. The golem would only fear something as strong or stronger than itself. He must use cunning. He ran for the upturned table with the golem after him, leaped over the table and wheeled as the golem stumbled, but did not, as he'd hoped, fall. However, the golem was slowed by its encounter, and Albeck took advantage of this to rush for the door, through which the golem had entered. It opened. He was in a twisting corridor, darkly shadowed, not unlike the labyrinth he had first found in Canaloon. The door closed, but he could not find anything to bar it with. He ran up the corridor as the golem tore the door open and came lumbering swiftly after him. The corridor writhed about in all directions, and though he could not always see the golem, he could hear it and had the sickening fear that he would turn a corner at some stage and run straight into it. He did not, but as he came to a door and upon opening it and passing through it, found himself again in the hall of Castle Canaloon. He almost welcomed this familiar sight as he heard the golem, its metal parts screeching, continue to come after him. He needed another shield, but the part of the hall in which he now found himself had no wall shields, only a large round mirror of bright, clear polished metal. It would be too heavy to be much use, but he seized it, tugging it from its hook. It fell with a clang, and he hauled it up, dragging it with him as he stumbled away from the golem, which had emerged into the room once more. Using the chains by which the mirror had hung, he gripped it before him, and as the golem's speed increased and the monster rushed upon him, he raised the makeshift shield. The golem shrieked. Malador was astounded. The monster stopped dead and cowered away from the mirror. Malador pushed it towards the golem and the thing turned its back and fled with a metallic howl through the door it had entered by. Relieved and puzzled, Malador sat down on the floor and studied the mirror. 
Well, there was certainly nothing magical about it, though its quality was good. He grinned and said aloud, The creature is afraid of something. It's afraid of itself. He threw back his head and laughed loudly to his relief. And then he frowned. Now to find the sorcerers who created him and take vengeance on them. He pushed himself to his feet, twisted the chains of the mirror more securely around his arm and went to another door, concerned lest the golem complete its circuit of the maze and return through the door. This door would not budge, so he lifted the sword and hacked at the latch for a few moments until it gave. He strode into a well-lit passage with what appeared to be another room at its far end, the door open. A musky scent came to his nostrils as he progressed along the passage, the scent that reminded him of Eloada and the comforts of Clint. When he reached the circular chamber, he saw that it was a bedroom, a woman's bedroom, full of the perfume he had smelled in the passage. He controlled the direction his mind took, thought of loyalty and clant, and went to another door which led off from the room. He lugged it open and discovered a stone staircase winding upward. This he mounted, passing windows that seemed glazed with emerald or ruby, beyond which shadow shapes flickered so that he knew that he was on the side of the castle overlooking chaos. The staircase seemed to lead up into a tower, and when he finally reached the small door at its top, he was feeling out of breath and paused before entering. Then he pushed the door open and went in. A huge window was set in one wall, a window of clear glass through which he could see the ominous stuff of chaos leaping. A woman stood by the window as if awaiting him. Well, you are indeed a champion, Earl Albeck, said she, with a smile that might have been ironic. Well, how do you know my name? Well, no sorcery gave it to me, Earl of Melador. You shouted it loudly enough when you first saw the hall in its true shape. Well, was that not then sorcery, he said ungraciously? The labyrinth, the demons, even the valley? Was not the golem made by sorcery? Is not this whole cursed castle of sorcerous nature? She shrugged. Call it so, if you'd rather not have the truth. Sorcery, in your mind at least, is a crude thing, which only hints at the true powers existing in the universe. He did not reply, being somewhat impatient of such statements. He had learned, by observing the philosophers of Clant, that mysterious words often disguised commonplace things and ideas. Instead, he looked at her sulkily and over-frankly. She was fair, with green-blue eyes and a light complexion. Her long robe was of a similar colour to her eyes. She was, in a secret sort of way, very beautiful, and, like all the denizens of Canaloon he'd encountered, a trifle familiar. You recognise Canaloon? she asked. He dismissed her question. Enough of this. Take me to the masters of this place. Well, there's none but me. Michelle, the dark lady, and I am the mistress. He was disappointed. Was it just to meet you that I came through such perils? It was, and greater perils even than you think, Earl Albeck. Those were but the monsters of your own imagination. Or well, taunt me not, lady. She laughed. I speak in good faith. The castle creates its own defences out of your own mind. It is a rare one who can face and defeat his own imagination. Such a one has not found me here for two hundred years. All since have perished by fear. Well, until now. She smiled at him. 
It was a warm smile. And what's the price for so great a feat, he said gruffly. She laughed again and gestured towards the window, which looked out upon the edge of the world and chaos beyond. Out there exists nothing as yet. If you venture into it, you will be confronted again by creatures of your hidden fancy, for there is nothing else to behold. She gazed at him admiringly, and he coughed in his embarrassment. Once in a while, she said, there comes a man to Canaloon who can withstand such an ordeal. Then may the frontiers of the world be extended, for when a man stands against chaos, it must recede, and new lands spring into being. So this is the fate you have in mind for me, sorceress. She glanced at him, almost demurely. Her beauty seems to increase as she looked at her. Her beauty seemed to increase as he looked at her. He clutched at the hilt of his sword, gripping it tight. As she moved gracefully towards him and touched him, as if by accident. There is a reward for your courage. She looked into his eyes and said no more of the reward, for it was clear what she offered. And after, do my bidding and go against chaos. Lady, know you not that ritual demands of Clan's champion that he be the queen's faithful consort? I would not betray my word and trust. He gave a hollow laugh. I came here to remove a menace to my queen's kingdom, not to be your lover and lackey. Well, there's no menace here. And that seems true. She stepped back as if appraising him anew. For her, this was unprecedented. Never before had her offer been refused. She rather liked this solid man who also combined courage and imagination in his character. It was incredible, she thought, how in a few centuries such traditions should, could grow up. Traditions which could bind a man to a woman he probably did not love. She looked at him as he stood there, his body rigid, his manner nervous. Forget, Clant, she said. Think of the power you might have. The power of true creation. Lady, I claim this castle for Clant. That is what I have come to do, and that is what I do now. If I leave here alive, I shall be judged the conqueror, and you must comply. She hardly heard him. She was thinking of various plans to convince him that her cause was superior to his. Perhaps she could still seduce him, or use some drug to bewitch him? No, he was too strong for either. She must think of some other stratagem. She felt her breasts heaving involuntarily as she looked at him. She would have preferred to have seduced him. It had always been as much her reward as the heroes who had earlier won over the dangers of Canaloon. And then she thought she knew what to say. Think, Earl Albeck, she whispered. Think. New lands for your queen's empire? He frowned. Why not extend the empire's boundaries further? She continued. Why not make new territories? She watched him anxiously as he took off his helm and scratched his heavy, bald head. You have made a point at last, he said dubiously. Think of the honours you would receive in Clant if you succeeded in winning not merely Canaloon, but that which lies beyond. Well, now he rubbed his chin. Aye, he said, aye, and his great brows frowned deeply. New plains, new mountains, new seas, new populations even. Whole cities full of people, fresh sprung, and yet with the memory of generations of ancestors behind them. All this can be done by you, Earl of Malador, for 
Queen Eloada and Lormir. He smiled faintly. His imagination fired at last. Aye, aye, if I can defeat such dangers here, then I can do the same out there. It will be the greatest adventure in history. My name will become a legend. Malador, Master of Chaos. She gave him a tender look, although she had half cheated him. He swung his sword up on his shoulder. I'll try it, lady. She and he stood together at the window, watching the chaos stuff, whispering and rolling for eternity before them. To her it had never been wholly familiar, for it changed all the time. Now its tossing colours were predominantly red and black. Tendrils of mauve and orange spiralled out of this and writhed away. Weird shapes flitted about in it, their outlines never clear, never quite recognisable. He said to her, The Lords of Chaos rule this territory. What will they have to say? Well, they can say nothing, and do little. Even they have to obey the law of the cosmic balance, which ordains that if a man can stand against chaos, then it shall be his to order and make lawful. Thus the earth grows, slowly. And how do I enter it? She took the opportunity to grasp his heavily muscled arm and point out the window. See there? A causeway leads down from this tower to the cliff. She glanced at him sharply. Do you see it? Uh, yes, I had not, but now I do. Yes, a causeway. Standing behind him, she smiled a little to herself. I will remove the barrier, she said. He straightened his helm on his head. For Clant and Eloada, and only those do I embark upon this quest. She moved towards the wall and raised the window. He did not look at her as he strode down the causeway into the multicoloured mist. As she watched him disappear, she smiled to herself. How easy it was to beguile the strongest man by pretending to go his way. He might add lands to his empire, but he might find their populations unwilling to accept Eloada as their empress. In fact, if Albeck did his work well, then he would be creating more of a threat to Clant than ever Canaloon had been. Well, yet she was she admired him. She was attracted to him, perhaps, because he was not so accessible. A little more than she had been to that earlier hero who had claimed Albeck's own land from Chaos barely 200 years before. Oh, he had been a man. But he, like most before him, had needed no other persuasion than the promise of her body. Earl Albeck's weakness had lain in his strength, she thought. By now he had vanished into the heaven mists. She felt a trifle sad that this time the execution of the task given her by the Lords of Law had not brought her the usual pleasure. Yet perhaps, she thought, she felt a more subtle pleasure in her steadfastness and the means she had used to convince him. For centuries, the Lords of Law had entrusted her with Canaloon and its secrets. But the progress was slow, for there were few heroes who could survive Canaloon's perils, few who could defeat self-created perils. Yet she decided with a slight smile on her lips, the task had its various rewards. She moved into another chamber to prepare for the transition of the castle to the new edge of the world. Thus were the seeds sown for the age of the young kingdoms, the age of men, which was to produce the downfall of Malnibonae.